Now, Yang has read for us uh, the passage we're going to be looking at today as we continue this study on daring to be an authentic disciple. And I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We've been in this little book now for about four or five weeks, and uh, next Sunday we'll wrap this up. Uh, And then the following Sunday we're going to begin a series out of Revelation chapters 2 and 3 on what Christ thinks of the church. But uh, today we want to look at a authentic disciple's priorities. And so uh, inside your program, there's an outline you can follow and uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to stick with this passage. Uh, We're going to look at one passage in the Old Testament, uh, but most of our time we're going to be studying this wonderful passage here in Colossians chapter 3. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to God's truth this morning. Father in heaven, How good it is to be in your presence, to be able to sing songs that speak of our relationship to you and the great hope that we have because we belong to you. You are our king and we love you and we thank you for the privilege of worship to draw near to you. You promised that if we would draw near to you that you would draw near to us. And I pray again that you would just provide your comforting embrace for so many that have been touched by sorrow this past week, I pray that you would continue to fill us up with yourself and that you would be our all and an all. You are the one that understands us more than we understand ourselves and we can rest in your everlasting arms and know that you care for us. So Lord, speak to our hearts, draw us close to you as we study this passage together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about priorities. Uh, Priorities are usually fueled by a sense of urgency. As long as everything in life kind of goes on in its routine manner, uh, many of us, we have priorities, but we haven't thought a lot about them, and we haven't really defined them. But when something happens in our life that disrupts uh, the normalcy of our lives, then many times we are uh, kind of stopped dead in our tracks and we begin to think about what really is important to us and begin to adjust our life accordingly. It's interesting, Chuck Swindoll says, uh, when we make these minor adjustments uh, because Uh, the journey on life has uh, evidenced some ebbs and flows, Uh, it's get with it time. He says this, for example, if the tumor is the size of a grapefruit, taking a handful of vitamins three times a day isn't the answer. If the foundation is shifted so much that the walls are cracking, the windows don't close, uh, the place needs more than just a paint job. If the ship is sinking and the storm is getting stronger, it's time to do much more than just have a conversation. If the church is emptying because needs are going unmet, singing hymns and preaching no longer sermons won't do the trick. If the family isn't talking, serving more meals is hardly the way to turn things around. Now, in the spiritual realm, 
our priorities become much clearer to us as we gain our perspective from the living God. And as Christ followers, what God calls us to do is to get to know him and to experience the power of his love and the transforming nature of his resurrection. And as we get to know him, as our perspective on God is growing and becoming fuller each day, then our priorities begin to fall into place. Now, it's very interesting that oftentimes uh, this just does not happen. And uh, I want you to take your Bibles, keep your finger there in Colossians chapter 3, but I want you to turn over to Psalm 73, because in Psalm 73, uh, Asaph, who is one of the sweet singers of Israel, experiences all kinds of confusion and disenchantment and disencouragement when he sees all the unlimited prosperity of those who have left the living God out of their lives. And as he looks at what is happening in life, he feels cheated. He takes a look at how the people who uh, seemingly have uh, no interest in God, how they prosper, how everything seems to be going well, and it causes him to uh, experience some disillusionment. So I want you to notice the lament that Asaph expresses here in Psalm 73. He begins by saying in verse 1, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so he is saying those that are upright and walking with God, they should be the ones that are experiencing the blessing of God. But as he views life, uh, things are a little bit different. Verse 3, notice, he says, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Verse 12, notice, they're always carefree. They increase in wealth. He looks at everything that is happening all around him, and he takes a look at people that are living ungodly lives, and he's saying, man, they've got it made. They don't have any problems. Everything seems to be going their way. It seems as though those that really desire to be pure in heart, we're we're the ones that are struggling. Why is it, God, that it seemingly are those who are outside a relationship to you that seem to flourish? And so he is uh, lamenting, he's feeling down, he's feeling discouraged. And beginning in verse uh, 13, uh, he begins to... Uh, express how he really feels. Notice verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands of innocent. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. And he goes on to say in verse 16, notice, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. I don't know if any of you have felt that way, but oftentimes we look at people who are living ungodly lives and it seems like they have it all together. They don't have any problems. They don't have any difficulties. They seem to glide through life without any problems. And we take a look at what's going on in our lives and we begin to question, is it really worth trusting the Lord? Is it really worth having a godly perspective in an ungodly society that seems to be bent on doing their own thing and leaving God completely out. 
And so he observes what's happening all around him. He's confused, he's disappointed, he's confused and discouraged. But then the last part of verse 16 and into 17, his lookout changes. Notice, last part of uh, verse uh, 16, it was oppressive to me, and the thought continues in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Underscore those words. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. You see, when we view life apart from having a clear view of who God is and how great he is, we may be tempted to think that it's really not worth living this life that we have supernaturally been given by God. But he only felt that way until he entered the sanctuary of God. And once he gets into the sanctuary of God, everything changes. His perspective changes completely because he now begins to understand that, hey, these people that are doing their own thing and are carefree and have no problems, <laughs> they don't have a very good destiny. Notice, he says, then I understood their destiny, verse 17. Surely, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one wakens, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. In other words, there's going to be a day of reckoning for those who have left God out of their lives. Now, it may seem that everything's going okay for them right now, but once we get an understanding of who God is, and that God is in charge, and God uh, raises up leaders, and he disposes of leaders, and he's the one who sovereignly rules over the earth, then our perspective changes. And they discover God to be the strength of their heart. Notice verse 23, he says, I am always with you, you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you take me into glory. He goes on in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But notice, underscore this in chartreuse, guys. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the hope that we have as God's people. Yeah, things on the outside may look bleak. It may look as though the enemy is prevailing. But once we get our eyes on Jesus, once we enter the sanctuary, and we pull away from all the distracting voices that would seek to pull us away from our commitment and our loyalty to Jesus, then we begin to understand that maybe they don't have the answer to life. Maybe it's just the reality that when my life is hidden with Christ in God, God has something extra special for me. And he concludes, notice, verse 28, but as for me, 
He's comparing himself now to everything that he sees. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Friends, when things seemingly are out of whack from a worldly perspective and it appears that those who want to live pure lives and those that want to live godly lives, that there's not much hope for them. The psalmist says, hey, there's great hope. You need to get into the sanctuary of God and understand how much God loves you and how much he values you. And he's the one that gives us a perspective so that our priorities in life are meaningful. Now, as we have been studying the book of Colossians, uh, we've discovered that he's talked about what it means to have an authentic profession of faith in Christ. Those who have personally confessed faith in Christ, their life is characterized by faith and hope and love more than anything else. Also in chapter 1, we learned that, that those who are actually growing in their walk with God, their prayer life is characterized by praying a simple prayer over and over again, and that prayer is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, those that are in pursuit after God, they not only want to comprehend God's will, but they want to carry it out in the strength that he provides. Then in chapter 2, we discovered uh, the authentic disciple's purpose. We talked about this last week. Our purpose is to remain steadfast no matter what comes against us. We remain steadfast in our commitment and our loyalty to Christ no matter what. And this is something that all of us need to be uh, pursuing after on a regular basis in our life with Christ. Now we come to chapter 3. And chapter 3 focuses on having this encounter with the living God, but this encounter with God changes everything. And I want you to think about this for a minute. When our focus is on God, and we've been in the sanctuary, and our eyes no longer are are on what's around us, but our eyes are on God, priorities begin to fall into place as never before. Now, it's very interesting. He says right out of the gate, here in verse 1, he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. He is saying, now, you are born from above believers. You are on a spiritual journey. I want your life now to reflect godly priorities, even though everyone around you is doing their own thing and have left God out of their lives. Since you've been raised with Christ, since you've experienced the power of his resurrection, the transforming nature of his grace in your life, I want you to begin to evidence some, some new priorities, some new ways of expressing, <coughs> excuse me, your faith and your confidence in the Lord. First of all, he says here in verses 1 and 2, 
we pursue a new pattern. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, instead of being concerned with a lot of earthly matters, how much money we make, what kind of a job we have, what kind of a home we own, how our peers view us, instead of being consumed with things of this life, now because of this new life we have received from Christ, we are to set our minds not on earthly things which are transitory and may pass away, but he wants us to set our minds on heavenly things. Notice, why are we to do that? Because that's where Jesus is. You see, it's all about Jesus. Everything in life is about Jesus. And when we put our focus upon Jesus, it's like the old songwriter put it, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so he's encouraging the Colossians, uh, you've been transformed. Uh, You have a new purpose, but you also have some new priorities. And I want you to set your minds on that which is above. That word set means to seek or to aim or to strive after. We are to strive after. It's as if an athlete is pursuing crossing that finish line ahead of anyone else. We pursue this. We're not passive. Far too many of us are what I call passive Christians. We let others do our thinking for us. We don't take the lead. We're not not out there in the front line. Paul says, once we have experienced this transformative power of Jesus, we set our minds on things that are above. That's where Jesus is. It's all about Jesus. And this is what we need to do some self-examination. How much of our life is consumed with Jesus as over against all the stuff in this world that is here for a moment, but it's not going to (laughs) last. It's not going to last, but Jesus is eternal. And he's given us new life. And we're to pursue him. Now, This doesn't mean that we (laughs) are to be spaced out spiritually, walking around in a fog. It doesn't mean that we sit in a corner and contemplate our navel until we end up in nirvana. It's not something weird. It's not something strange. It's the normal Christian life. It's normal to seek things that are above. Why is that so hard for us to grasp? Why is it so hard for us to grab onto spiritual truth and and we think we have to go through all kinds of of, uh, uh, reminiscences and things like that? We just need to set our minds on Jesus. That's where Jesus is. He's in heaven. Set your mind on heavenly things. And he goes even a step further. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He's talking about not only the way in which we live, but the way in which we think. We're to be thinking about heavenly things. 
We're to be thinking about our relationship with Jesus. We're to be thanking him for what he's done in changing our lives. We're to be consumed with thoughts that are from above, not being consumed by this world. Now, Paul alludes to the priorities Christ wants us to model here in verses 12 and 14. Notice, he says, this is how I want you to live. These are the priorities that need to govern your life. Verse 12, notice, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here it is again, these are commands. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. What does that sound like? The fruit of? Fruit of the Spirit. See, he, wa- he wants us, to, those are the things that are, are to be priorities in our lives. Those are just not happy thoughts from God. So many times we read the scripture and it goes in one ear and out the other. God wants us to set those as priorities. The fruit of the Spirit is something that we need to be cultivating. Notice, he goes on to say in verse 13, notice, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Why is it so hard for us to forgive? Why is it so hard for God's people to forgive each other? One of the things that breaks my heart is the people that have never been touched by the grace of God, they can forgive each other much quicker than God's people. But he wants us to to make forgiveness a lifestyle where we are forgiving each other. We don't hold grudges. We don't keep a scorecard. We're to forgive as the Lord forgave you. And notice verse 14, and over all these virtues, what? Put on love which binds them all together in unity. Don't you just love to be around people that are full of the Spirit of God? The fruit of the Spirit just oozes from their life. You can tell they've been in touch with Jesus. It it shows up in everything they do. It shows up in their attitudes, their actions, their countenance. They're excited about being part of the family of God. They don't go around uh, as a sad sack, looking like they've been weaned on a dill pickle. Oh my goodness. You take a look at some of the body of Christ, you just say, you, you, and instead of joy in serving Jesus, oh my, it's a hard road. What's the matter with us? When we're seeking those things that are above, when we're seeking heavenly things, there's joy, and there's forgiveness, and there's love, and there's harmony, and there's unity. And it all begins in our minds. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, it's the Holy Spirit that renews and reprograms our minds to think Christianly. The only way in which we can act like a Christian is to think like a Christian. Notice he explains this in verse 10 here in Colossians chapter uh, 3. He says, you put on the new self, here it is, underline it, which is being renewed 
in the knowledge of the image of its creator. God is in the business of renewing our minds so that we're thinking God's thoughts, we're living God's priorities. He is more important to us than anything else. Very interesting, when St. Augustine, or excuse me, Michelangelo was painting the Sistine Chapel, and he had to do it on his back, looking up. After that work was completed, he could not accomplish any other task unless he was in that same prone position. You see, he couldn't read a book, he couldn't look at a drawing, until he was looking up. And my friends, one of the devil's schemes is to get us so focused on this life that we forget that our first priority as God's people, since we've been raised with Christ, set our hearts and our minds on King Jesus. Number two, another priority as we treasure our new position. Notice, this is good stuff here. Verse 3, Colossians 3.3. Why are we to set our minds on heavenly things? Here it is. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When we committed our lives to Jesus Christ, what did we do? We nailed that old sin nature to the cross. We died to the way we used to live. Now, that doesn't mean that we are sinlessly perfect. It simply means that there was a point in our lives where we acknowledged that we were a sinner and separated from God, and we nailed the old self to the cross. We died to our own will, to our own desires, to our own plans. Because notice what the text says, our life is now what? What's the text say? It is what? Hidden with Christ in God. That doesn't mean it's hard to find. It's the life of God within us. You see, every single one of us as God's people, if we have come into a relationship to Jesus Christ, Jesus lives within us. That's how we're to think. That's how we're to act. Those are the priorities that we are to live. This, this just gets me so excited. Oh my goodness. What did Paul say in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20? He said, I stand crucified with Christ, and I no longer am living, but what? Christ is living in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the Christian life is Christ in us. And if you know Jesus, the in Christ life is the best life to live. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We don't live on our feelings anymore. How many of us, let's just be honest, we let feelings control us. Things don't go well and goodness sakes we're down in the dumps. We've nailed that old nature to the cross. And now our life is hidden with Christ in God. We live on the basis of faith. Not in ourselves. Notice. It's not faith in ourselves. 
It is faith in the one who loved us and who gave himself for us and is preparing a place called heaven for every single one of us. We have died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now what did we die to? He outlines it very clearly. Very interesting, if you just study the Bible, you discover all kinds of things. You died. What did we die to? He talks about it here in verse five, notice. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. In other words, the things that characterized your life before you came to Christ, you nailed that to the cross, you died. Now what were some of these things? He lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, when you, by faith in Jesus Christ, you escape the wrath of God, okay? But when we practice these things, let me tell you, if we don't confess them and get rid of them, then we are going to experience the wrath of God. He says, you used to walk in these ways. Now, underline that. He's not talking about where they're at presently. He's reminding them of what they've been delivered from. You see that? It's beautiful here. But now, put a circle around, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off the old self with its practices, and notice, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Man, how do I cause you to shout hallelujah? (laughs) My goodness, we have been given all these resources, this richness of Christ, it's all there. But we have to set our minds on things that are above. We gotta get our eyes on Jesus. Do you realize Jesus is there in heaven and he is making intercession for us? There's not a single thing that happens in your life that catches Jesus off guard. He knows everything about you. He loves you so much. Oh, how he loves you. And he wants us as his people to have just a few priorities. Number one, to pursue heavenly things. To think about heavenly things and to remember that we have crucified that old life. We put it on the altar. The problem with many of us, we keep creeping off the altar and we lapse back into the old way of doing things and we get discouraged and we get defeated and we begin to withdraw. Let, let, let me tell you, <clears throat> That's where we as believers need to encourage one another. When we see those that are going through tough times, maybe they're tempted to just kind of crawl off that altar that they once sacrificed themselves to because they belong to Jesus. We need to come around them. We need to hold up their hands. We need to encompass them with the love of Jesus. That is what will win the world. When we care for each other to that extent. There's no comparison 
between earthly things and heavenly things. Things on earth are temporary, things in heaven are eternal. Do you realize everything in this life decays? You buy a brand new house, you buy a brand new car, what are you having to do? Fix it all the time. It breaks down. They give you this warranty that you pay for, and it still breaks down. Things in this life do not last. Eternal things do. I love what uh, Coach Sugar shared yesterday with the men. He shared, he talks to his athletes, and he encourages them to, to have a plan. And he broke down the plan that he encourages his athletes to pursue, and he called it rally. R-A-L-I. Rally. R. Reject passivity. Many of us are way too passive in our spiritual lives. A, accept responsibility. Don't blame others. Accept responsibility. L, lead courageously. And I, I love this one, invest eternally. What he was saying to these young men, there's more to life than just playing football. I want you to invest in something that's going to last. That's what it's all about, friends. We died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. Oh, goodness, I've got to hurry up here. I'm, I'm getting too excited. Okay, new position. Now, thirdly, we anticipate our future glorification. Look at this, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, remember that he is our life, when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. Now, you see, our contemporaries are, people look at us and they think we're a bit weird because we love Jesus. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And we who are alive and remain will go up with him to meet him in the air. And the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus is coming back. Do you believe that? See, I take a look at what's happening in our world today. Let me tell you. The stage is being set for the return of Jesus Christ. We don't know when. The son doesn't even know when. It's only known to the father. But Paul reminds these people here, I want you to have biblical, Christ-like priorities because one of these days, Jesus is coming again. When Christ who is our life appears, he is our life and the one who's given us eternal life. This one who is life is going to return and he's going to transform us. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. Now are we the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see 
him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Are you anticipating the return of Jesus? Do you live in light of the fact? Could be today. People in Peter's day thought it was going to happen way back there in the first century. They thought it was going to come back right away. He had ascended. They thought it was coming back right away. He's delayed. He's come. Why is he delayed? He's coming. So that no one would ever perish. You see, the door of salvation is open wide today. And God wants us as his people to live in anticipation of his return and with priorities that are centered on things that are above, in the heavenly things. He doesn't want us to get sucked up with all the gloom and the glamour and all the stuff that this world has to offer. It's so easy, isn't it? To just get captivated by everything around us. And we forget about this most important relationship that we have. And that is to prioritize, prioritize our relationship with Jesus. And when we do, our lives will take off in dimensions that are full of the glory of God. Authentic disciples do three things. With this, I'm closing. Number one, they aim at heavenly things. They have a view. They're looking to Jesus. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of their faith. They aim at heavenly things. Number two, they acknowledge their position in Christ. They realize they've died They've nailed that old nature to the cross. They don't feed that old nature. Now they're feeding a new nature that's been supernaturally given to them by God. And then lastly, they anticipate their future destiny of one day seeing Jesus Christ face to face. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day when we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's stand together, please, for closing prayer. <clears throat> I want you all to bow your heads this morning. Jesus is here very clearly. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to our hearts. And there may be some of you that say, you know, Pastor, I've... I've succumbed to earthly things. I've, I've, I've put too much confidence in the here and now, and I'm not thinking about heaven, and I'm not thinking about heavenly things, and I've allowed the world to influence me more than you, but this morning, I want to recommit myself to you. I want to surrender my heart anew and afresh. Without anybody looking around, if that's your desire, to recommit, to rededicate yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, will you just slip up your hand and put it down? Yes. Yes, I see up in the balcony. I do. 
several. Yes, I see these hands. I see, thank you, you may put them down. Anyone else with an uplifted hand say, Pastor, remember me. I want to recommit my life to King Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. I'm glad I waited. Anyone else just with an uplifted hand? Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I see in the back, you may put it down. Thank you so much. Father in heaven, you have seen each one of these hands as they have lifted them up to you, saying, Lord, I surrender anew to you. I want you to have priority in everything that I do and say. I want my mind to be centered on your thoughts. I want my priorities to reflect my love and my life in you. And Lord, what I pray for each one that raised his or her hand, I pray for each one of us that we would leave today as an army of Christ followers, walking in obedience to you, loving you, falling more and more in love with you every day, and being the light that you've called us to be to brighten the darkness. May you use each one of us this coming week to influence others for the kingdom. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless all of you.